Welcome back to another episode of Agile Way podcast, where we explore challenges organizations face on their Agile journey. How to become great Scrum Master, how to change your leadership style, or how to embrace agility at the organization level. I'm Suzy Shukova, Agile coach, certified Scrum trainer, and author of the great Scrum Master book and Agile leader book, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm passionate about business agility, organizational culture, and Agile leadership, and that was the reason why I decided to start this podcast, to share with you my experiences and stories from my Agile journey. Let me welcome here Linda Rising. She's my dearest friend. We were hosting Linda on several of our Agile Prague conferences. I have her on a couple of my certified Agile leadership classes as a guest. And whenever I have a chance to talk to her, I learn something very inspirational. She got me thinking. So I'm super grateful that she accepted my invitation to this podcast today. And this time, we would like to talk about change. Linda wrote two books on change, Fearless Change and More Fearless Change. So if you're interested about some of those topics in more details, you can grab one of those books. So Linda, can you tell us something about change? Well, thank you for that nice introduction, Zuzi. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, even if it is remote and even if we would much rather be sitting in Prague, having a cup of coffee, watching people walk by. This will have to do for a while. So here we are, and we're talking about change. And I think for me, when I think about changing anybody, even if I'm changing myself or talking to an organization about change or a team in an organization about change, the thing I always forget that's probably the most important about change is that our decision to make that change is never rational. We think, we think we are logical decision makers. In fact, I think that's why it's hard for us to give up the idea that we can convince other people with logic, with facts, about anything, whether it's to move to an agile process or adopt a new testing tool or make a change in personal habits like exercise or diet, we resort to the information, the data, the facts to convince. And we do that to ourselves. And we believe at some level that that should be convincing that we will hear that we will examine that data and we'll clearly clearly the facts show that this is better this new thing this new idea the change would be good it would be a good thing for us to do this and yet we know and there's plenty of evidence lots of science that shows that is not That is not how we personally make decisions. That is not how organizations make decisions. But you're going to have to find 
some way to move people in a direction you want to go, but facts, well, that's just not going to be enough. We forget that. That's true. I keep forgetting it myself as well, but you're right. Me too. Rational, <laughs> rational arguments doesn't really help all the time. It's not that you don't need facts, because if you don't have data, if you haven't done your homework, if you don't have any evidence at all, then, of course, you're not going to be convincing. And you do need to have that, I say, in your back pocket. You need to have that ready at some point. And we can talk about when that is. But initially, the conversation should be about other things. And I think the most important is, what problems are you having? What are you worried about? What do you care about? What are you afraid of? What's your purpose in life and what will help you get there? If we talk about things that resonate with people's values and what they care about and reach out to the feelings they have about those values, what are the deep feelings they have about things that are related to this much more effective and getting them to move in the direction we want to. And then at some point, those facts will be useful because once people have started to move, then they'll need to explain it to somebody else. And if you have the data, and then they can use that to say to somebody else on the team or their manager or their their boss or their family or say, well, here's why we're going to do this. And now they will haul out the data thinking that this has something important to say to other people. That's called rationalization. We need to explain it after we've made the decision. But the making of the decision, the change itself is instituted by things that we don't even understand very well but that are typically hooked to deep feelings, emotion, mostly fear. What am I worried about? What do I care about? That's what gets us. That's what gets us to change. And that's true. I remember when I was changing uh, what I do, it was when I started my own business, for example, I didn't actually want to start it rational wise. I was, thinking in my head that I want to be employee but then actually certain things which happened forced me to rethink this and rationally I didn't want to do that but then I still make that decision so that's the way we all do it but if you ask people and if you ask anyone well how do you make decisions because I do teach a little class on decision making and that's how we start well how do you make decisions Everybody, everybody always says the same thing. Well, I examine the pluses and the minuses. I do an analysis of this situation, whether it's starting a company, whether it's moving to a new process, whether it's deciding to buy new tools. It doesn't matter. They all say, well, we did an analysis. We were very rational. We thought about all of the ins and outs. We did our homework. We did some research. We interviewed other people. They think that that's how the decision is made. 
but it isn't. The decision is made, well, we don't even know, but it's maybe that I heard something or I know somebody who uses this tool or I read something or I heard a podcast. I heard a really cool podcast about this and that got me thinking. And then I woke up the next day and I thought, hmm, maybe my team could do this. And we've already made up our minds. And once we've already made up our minds, then all the data, all the research, all the surveys, all the investigation are only going to substantiate, back up, enforce, lead us on in support of that decision. That's called the confirmation bias. We think we're being really analytical and open-minded. No. Once we've emotionally made that decision, the only thing we'll see is go this way, do this. So that's all about with individuals, right? But now when you have a larger organization, then some people start to having those, you know, emotional decisions this way and that way. And so what's your suggestion on dealing with those larger ecosystems, those uh, bigger groups of people, which are diversity and complex by definition? And that is our only hope. Because as individuals, we cannot be rational about a change that we want to make. That's purely emotion driven. And if organizations or teams are made up of people who all think the same way, then their decisions will also be irrational. So our best hope for humanity is to have a diverse collection of people who think differently because individuals, as you said, the individuals are gonna be irrational. But if we are on a team with other people who are equally irrational and they will see things differently, of course. So if we are open to listening to them, we can say to ourselves, I can't see my own bias, it's impossible. But now I hear from somebody else on my team that they see this whole thing differently. If I really listen to them, then perhaps I can see, well, some of my ideas might not have been so good, but now I see things slightly differently because my teammates said something and I listened to that and now I changed. So if teams are diverse, organizations are diverse, that's our only hope for making good decisions is that we have lots of people who see things differently. And when we share those ideas, we listen as best we can, even though we are irrational and we have confirmation bias, if we do the best we can to listen to those other people, then the result, the emergent decision will be better. 
Now, that's the idea behind democracy, and that's what we're struggling with now is polarization, is that we're not diverse. We have a lot of diverse opinions, but we tend to stay within our own tribe. We only want to hang out with people who agree with us. It's so comfortable when we do that. And on social media, we can do that. We can exclude people who don't agree with us. So we don't hear those other opinions. And we're not open to different points of view. So it's really, really easy, even in a group, to dig ourselves even deeper into that hole and say, we are right. And you people who disagree with us, well, you are wrong. You don't understand this issue. You don't understand the facts. So it is vital that organizations that want to make good decisions, that want to move forward in a good direction, you must have a lot of people who don't agree with you. Now, there are agile teams and agile organizations who claim to have diverse teams. But then they'll say something like, Well, when we hire someone for our team, we want to make sure that they fit in our culture. And when I hear a team say that, it makes me wonder, hmm, does that, is that just an excuse? Because what that means to me is, well, we are only going to hire people who are just like us. Hiring to fit in our culture really means we want people who are just like us, who think the way we do, who agree with us. We don't like people who disagree with us. So we often don't hire those people and we will find a valid reason. We will say, well, We talked to person X and that person seemed to have the skills we needed, but we're not sure that would be a good culture fit. And that means, well, for some reason, we don't even know why often. We just didn't like that person. That person didn't line up, didn't fit in, seemed to be controversial, wouldn't do certain things that we thought everybody should do. And so now that closes down all the benefits of diversity. So I think we have to be careful with our vocabulary. Culture is important, of course. We need to step back and say, are we really, are we really committed to having a diverse workforce? And that means not just gender. That means everything, educational background, any any one of a number of factors. You want people who see things differently. And then when they come in, you need to listen to those different people. That's our best hope. But that's diversity, right? That's a higher level which you just described will also require enough listening skills and maybe a higher level of transparency. Yes. That's exactly what is missing in many organizations. So do you have yes. any thoughts about how to encourage that? Mm. That is so hard because we all think we do it. 
we all believe. I'm a good listener. I understand what it takes. Yeah, on on my team, I'm real. I'm open to listening to different points of view. So you probably know that in the United States, we've had a contentious round of elections lately. And one of the things I did personally to be more involved in what was going on was to join an organization that was called Braver Angels. And the purpose of the organization was to get people together who don't agree politically. Now, typically in the United States, at least, we don't talk to people who disagree with us politically. We talk about those people, but we don't really have good conversations because it's not a good thing to do most of the time with your friends and neighbors. You don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics. And now, of course, we don't talk about the vaccine. So we don't have a chance to interact on those difficult topics. So here I am in an organization where not only do we talk about it, we're going to try to learn a better way of doing it. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to actually do workshops and exercises. And I thought, oh, I know how to do this. I think everybody who's part of an agile organization who has ever been to an agile conference, we all think, oh, I know how to do this. This will be a good exercise for me to try these skills in a different domain, but I know how to do this. I was so wrong. I thought it was difficult trying to have a conversation with somebody who maybe didn't want to go through an agile transformation for a number of reasons. I thought that was difficult, but that is nothing. If you try to have a conversation with somebody who believes that everyone in the world should carry weapons, even children, they should go to grade school carrying guns on their hips, that way they'll be prepared in case someone tries to break into their school, they can have a shootout. Can you imagine grade school children shooting some? It's so much more difficult when we're talking about guns and abortion. Those are difficult topics, and people have deep feelings about them. People have really deep emotional connections to their feelings about guns and abortion. And what I learned out of that experience, and it's still going on because I'm still a member of that group, was how little I really knew about listening to someone who doesn't agree with me on some topic I deeply care about. And how do you do that? What are the skills that are required? And what's your goal in that conversation? It can't be to change another person's mind. That's not gonna happen. What the goal turns out to be, and it was a complete surprise to me, the goal should be 
to change your own mind because you're the only person who could possibly come out of that conversation having an opener view, a better view, a wider view of that issue than you had going in. You're not going to be able to argue with this other person and turn them, but you might see some things that you hadn't seen before. And that's the goal of a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with you. And that is so hard. (laughs) That's incredibly hard. So some of the most difficult conversations I have had in the last four and a half years have been with braver angels. But I have learned so much that has helped me. And when I walk away from those conversations, I am able to either shake hands or hug that person on the other side when I would likely have never done that. I wouldn't even had the chance to have the conversation. That is life transforming. Your life will never be the same. Having that conversation with somebody who is so far away from you. So that experience taught me we need to do more. Not only in the Agile community, but we need to do more for the world. About how do you have a conversation? We think we know how to talk to other people. We think, well, I was born, I, you know, I, I'm a human. There are certain things that all humans do. So I know how to have a conversation with somebody else. I, I'll bet not, because that's what I thought. Then I had to learn. We have little exercises and workshops and every single one of them has taught me so much more than I than I thought I knew about collaboration, communication, reaching out to people, working together. Because that's that's our job, that's all of our jobs. No matter what team you're on is, we need to work together to make the world better. The world needs us now. And without those collaborative conversations, it's not gonna happen. So I've learned a lot. That must be a tough experience still going on, right? I can't even imagine going to the, some of those conversations. Like, uh, that must be a really tough. Because, you know, we have our own ideas about what is right and what is wrong, at least to some of those topics. Of course. And, and that's so difficult. And, of course, I'm avoiding those things. We care deeply about that. And we're not willing to compromise. Mm. I don't want children carrying guns. I really don't. I will stand up and say, this is not a good idea. I will never vote for this. This is not good. And then here's another person who believes absolutely deeply, passionately, really cares, thinks this is the only way. Mm -hmm. 
So if we don't have those conversations, then what we have is a wall between us that only gets bigger and no way of reaching any kind of compromise where we can say, we will never agree on this. And that's not the point. But if we don't listen to each other and if we don't expand our worldview a little bit, well, this wall is only going to become taller and deeper and you're on one side and I'm on the other side. That is not a definition for democracy or a good way to make decisions. And that can happen anywhere, not just about gun control. It can happen about anything. If we care about it and we think, I've thought about this, I've researched, I know the facts, I know the right way, and then we don't listen. We really don't. But it starts in schools, right? If oh, we oh, teach people how to listen and how to have those dialogues about different topics where they disagree with each other already at schools, they might be more ready for that. Yes. Yes, they might. It, it also has to do with a lot of other skills that we think people understand. One of them is the idea of randomization. We don't understand that. And so if we don't understand statistics and randomization, then a lot of us, and we see this in the U.S. now, get caught up in some sort of causality. We think everything has to have been caused buy something when it could have just been a random event. And so therefore everything must have happened because somebody planned it or somebody instituted it. And so if it's a bad thing, it had to be caused by some group of people who are doing this to us, looking for a scapegoat in organizations after doing a retrospective for a failed project, that's the first thing everybody, well, who made a mistake and who's responsible for this when it could have just been a combination of random events that all happened to come together and it was a complex adaptive system. So lots of changes resulted in this result. And we may never find what that ultimate cause was. We can do all the five wise exercises we want, but we don't understand the system enough and we'll never take randomization as an answer. It is so strange. The human brain doesn't like it. The idea that there are random events, things just happen. Nobody has an explanation, but it had a huge impact. And now here we are. Instead of trying to rationally analyze it, it's probably impossible. We just need to say, okay, here's where we are. Let's move forward. What can we do in the future to be better? And maybe some of those things don't even address those random events. That's okay. Just we need to be better somehow. So let's come up with some good ideas for being better. And that's where change comes in. It's got to come from the local group. You can't come in from the outside and say, look, it's easy for me to tell you what to do, but you have to come up with this. Otherwise, you won't do it. What do you think would make things better for you? Should be little things, some little small things. Little small things are always possible. And what yes. I really like on those small things, if you look back like six months and look backwards, 
you, you don't even recognize that organization or that team because they've been just doing those little tiny things which no one even noticed very often. So that's yeah. really a good advice, I think. So what would you recommend people who have this big dream maybe? They want to help that organization. They want to help their team maybe by you know improving the agile way of working or just changing how they work to make it really neutral. They want to institute some change. They have this big dream how better it's going to be when that change is there. So what would you recommend to those type of uh, change agents, uh, dreamers maybe is better word? I think that's all of us. I think most people have some idea of something they'd like to do and that they might not say that right away. Um, Earlier, we were talking about, you know, are there going to be any real events? And I had my first real event two days ago. And I started out by talking to the group and I asked them, well, how do you feel? And they all said, oh, we're fine. I said, no, really? How do you feel? And they said, oh, great. Everything is great. But after the talk was over, Almost everybody in the room, they lined up and they came up and they said, no, things are not great. And I had, that was actually the topic of the talk was maybe if things aren't great, what can you do about it? And when they said, oh, well, things are great. And I said, oh, well, then this talk won't help you at all. Maybe I should just give you a, give another talk or, but I'm glad I did because every single one of them was asking the same question. Things are not so great. What can I do? And the answer is, of course, you can always do something, even if it's the most horrible situation you can imagine. And that's where we've been for the past year and a half. There is always, there's always some small thing that you can do. And we've talked a little bit about complex adaptive systems, not a whole lot, but small changes can have wide impacts. Often things that you're not gonna see because you're in the middle of it, but by doing some small thing, you change everything. By doing some small thing, your whole organization might shift in some way, and you won't even know it because you caused something to happen that caused something else to happen that caused something else to happen. And by the time the event that people are really noticing, they don't realize that it was ultimately caused by something that you did, some small thing. And you'll probably never realize that. So if you're looking for credit, you wanna get an award, for making some big change in your organization. Well, I don't think that's gonna happen, but if you want things to be better, then just do it. That's a pattern in fearless change. Just go ahead and do it. Do that small thing. And no matter how bad things are, even in the midst of a global pandemic, you have the power to take some small step. The pattern in fearless change is baby steps. Think how babies learn to walk. They didn't have a plan 
Uh, their parents didn't bring in a mentor to help them learn how to walk. The baby just got up and was holding onto a chair and said, this looks like a good idea. Let me try this. Oh no, and fell down. And if at that point, you as a baby had said, well, that didn't work. I might as well give up this walking stuff. Ah, it's not for me. I'll never get it. I might as well just stay here on the floor and I'm, I'm pretty good at crawling. I'll just stay with it. No, you said, hey, let, let's try that again. It didn't work so well, but this time I'm going to do something slightly different. And maybe you really held on to that chair before you decided to step out. And then you stood alone. Well, and then you fell. Then you got up. And you did that over and over and over, not knowing as a baby, was this ever going to go anywhere? Were you ever going to get the hang of this? But you did not give up, did you? Well, that's what we all do about everything. You take that little baby step and it doesn't ever work out the first time. And then you try something else and something else something else you're a little scientist you're doing little experiments and you get feedback you know right away whether that actually helped you or not and your brain made sense of that and you just took the next baby step and the next baby step now i know not everyone walks some people do other things but most of us have had that experience of walking, of talking, of learning new skills. And yeah, it is. In the beginning, it's really not, not very rewarding. And the sound we make out of that violin is not very good. But if you get discouraged initially, then you'll never get anywhere. So we don't do that as humans. We keep on trying. That's what our species has going for it. As we can analyze, we can think about it, we can take the next step, get feedback, think about it, take the next step. Those are all patterns and fearless change. And that is how all change happens. Little baby steps, feedback, think about it learn and take the next step thank you very much and what i really like on talking to you is that positivity which i always when i stay and listen to your talks and have a chance to talk to you personally i always feel like yes everything is possible so that's <laughs> some magic which you always blend into my head so thank you very much for that oh. magic thank you for being here with me on this podcast thank you Zuzi it was my pleasure in a summary our decision about change is never rational 
We think we can convince other people with rational arguments like data and facts. But decisions about a change are not rational at all. They are instituted by things we don't understand that well, like deep feelings, emotions, and fear. That's what gets us to change. So our best hope while making good decisions is to have a diverse collection of people who think differently. So we can get feedback on our ideas. We can learn from that. The more we listen to diverse perspectives, the more we are able to adapt and see the complexity of the entire system. Change starts small, baby steps. There is always some small things you can do. Small changes can have a wide impact. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Agile Way podcast hosted by Zuzi Shukhova, author of the Great Scrum Master book and Agile Leader book. If you love listening to this podcast, please leave us a review. If there is any topic you are particularly interested in and would like to hear another episode on it, let me know. For more information about me and my Agile classes, visit our website sochova.com S-O-C-H-O-V-A dot com Thank you for listening.